Fletcher, this is his idea, the beautiful, brilliant idea. My assignment is the kingdom of God from Acts 1 through Revelation. So, <laughs> buckle your seatbelts, <laughs> because there is a lot, and I will condense it as best I can. If you are one of those who really likes teaching, you'll do well. If you don't like teaching, may the Lord bless you and keep you, and may the wind always be at your back. <laughs> okay. The kingdom, the church, and the future. This phrase, what in the world is going on? See, everybody has muttered or uttered that question, which really is not a question. It's what? It, you know that there are those moments in life, and by now you know that your life can change just that fast. 9-11, a Katrina, a tsunami, somebody you love has had a stroke. I mean, stuff happens, right? Only the Creator knows the plan. Is that right? Only the Creator knows the what, the why, and the how of the plan. Thank you, though. I appreciate that. My, my church wouldn't do that, and I prefer it your way. <laughs> a lot of people don't believe there is a plan. You know that. Some people believe that history is, circle, is, is, is circular, and it just repeats itself not going anywhere. An awful lot of people just shrug their shoulders and say, whatever. I hate that word, whatever. And, you know, <laughs> God has a plan. And He has revealed His plan. The, the reality of God's plan is stamped on every page of Scripture. All right. But the, the, probably my favorite, my favorite place... Chapter 5. Chapter 4, John actually said there was a door open to him in heaven and he saw. And then in chapter 5 it says these things. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. That book is the history of the world. That book is the plan, the reason of history. It's sealed with seven seals, meaning it's perfectly sealed. That's the point. And it's in the right hand of God. <laughs> and I saw a proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book, the plan, and to break its seals, to release it? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it, though there are a lot of people with a lot of theories and a lot of philosophies who've tried. <laughs> then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. See, some people realize if you're going to know the plan, it's beyond human in invention. You can't. And one of the elders said to me, now this is the church. This is John's picture of the church. One of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that's from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has hasn't overcome. Oh. Back on or? Back on? Okay. They're saying to the world, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that's from the tribe of Judah, the rock, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. So this is what the church has had the revelation. We, we got the revelation. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures... And the elders, a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the world. And he, Jesus, 
He, the Lamb of God, came and, and, and took the book out of the right hand of Him, the Father who sat on the throne. <laughs> That's the picture of uh, the plan. There are three things for us to grasp. One is knowledge. It's the what. Then there's understanding. That's the why. And then there's a wisdom. How? How does this work out? So we're at, we, we want to know the answer to three questions. What is God doing? Why is He doing it? And how is He doing it? If to trying to make life work without knowing these things, well, you're on the road to life, but you don't know which road you're on, and you don't have a map if you don't know these three things. The what of God goes back to His original plan for mankind. I believe that there are a lot of Christians who, don't, who are not aware of this. God has an original plan stated in Genesis 1.28. It says He blessed them five blessings that, that we ought to be fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue, and rule. Okay, that is where history is going. Now we know Adam blew it. And so uh, we don't see all that going on in the world today. But those five things come to pass. A few of you are actually reading your Bibles, and you're going to flip, flip, flip. Because in, Reve- in Revelation 21, we see the fulfillment of it. Because John's looking into heaven. He sees the future. He sees where the plan is going. This is the what. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. See, the new heavens and the new earth are coming to the earth. We're going to be here on the earth the way God originally intended it. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. That's the church. Okay. So the Revelation, the, the, the Genesis 1.28 blessings, they are going to come to pass on the earth. If you're one of His, you'll be in that number. You'll see it. You'll be a part of it for ages. Okay. Now, the first Adam failed. The good news is, from the moment that he failed, God made a promise. Genesis 3. We're, we're working on the what. We're working on what God is doing. God is going to bring these blessings. These five blessings, by the way, we call them, theologically, in theological circles, we call them the cultural mandate. The cultural mandate. Those five things are going to come to pass. No sooner had Adam sinned than God spoke to the serpent in the presence of Adam and Eve. And this is what he said in Genesis 3.15. Arguably the most important or one of the very most important verses in the Bible. And I will put enmity. He's saying this to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. If you don't know that, if you're trying to live life and you don't understand that revelation, you'll never know. Why is there so much enmity in the world? Why is there so much hostility in the world? Why is there so much confusion and wars and, and, and hatred and resentment? What? Boom. Right there. Good news. Her seed, the seed of the woman, becomes Personal, one person, he. Paul picks up on this in Galatians, if you know your Bible. The seed of the woman becomes the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so right at the get-go, God has promised. And this is part of the what? Of the plan of God. That he is going to fulfill the cultural mandate. He's going to send his son. He is going to redeem that which has been so uh, ruined. Now, now, for the why. Why is God doing this? Now, I don't pretend to... I'm going to give you a very short answer. <laughs> for a reason that my, my understanding would be limited. 
But all through the Scriptures, God says this amazing thing. And you shall be my people, and I shall be your God. And we'll see that right, we'll read it right up to the end of Revelation. You shall be my people, I shall be your God. That, the why, is that it comes out of the heart of the Father. That He will have a children, children a people, and He'll be with them. That is going to happen. And so, beginning in, 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 in the Old Testament, God begins to reveal, I'm going to bring my kingdom to the earth. David begins to talk about it in the Psalms. The prophets talk about it. Uh, particularly uh, Isaiah, Daniel, Obadiah. They begin to give you some of the details of the coming kingdom. Now, whether you realize it or not, I just gave you the Old Testament. Okay. My job isn't to preach the Old Testament. All right. Now, we are now entering the New Testament. Okay. The Son of God always existed. But He rocked our world when He became a man. (laughs) Not only did He become a man, Adam became a man who, and he represented everybody who would ever be born human, you and me. Jesus became a man, and he would represent all that he would represent, all who shall ever be saved. The shocking thing to me is that if you just ask Christians, good, sincere Christians, what was it that Jesus preached? What was his message? You hear really a lot of good and true answers. But often without hearing this, he preached the kingdom of God. (laughs) He preached the gospel of the kingdom. And that is what Jesus came preaching and, 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 and teaching. First of all, he qualified himself by obedience. He was baptized by the Holy Spirit. Um, he bound the strong man. He came out of the wilderness proclaiming the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is near you. He inaugurated it. He initiated the kingdom of God. And that's particularly, well, it's seen all over the Gospels, but I'm going to show you in Matthew 4, 17, when it just says, this was his message. message. Repent, because the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, I'm sorry, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, I hope you understand they're the same thing. Two ways, synonyms. Okay. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In verse 23, Jesus was going throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now, we use the short, the, we use the abbreviated phrase today, gospel. Do you believe the gospel? Do you know the gospel? But the full phrase is the gospel of the kingdom. And sometimes that just gets dropped. <laughs> He was teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of sickness, of disease, um, and every kind of sickness among uh, the people. So if you ask the question, how is a human supposed to live on the planet Earth? All you have to do is look at Jesus. Now, I'm not necessarily doing the preaching he's doing, but the living he did. He was the example. And then he taught us the principles of another kingdom. A coming, a kingdom that was that was present in, with Jesus is here today, in its hidden form, but is coming in full, and that we are to live in the kingdom. And not only did Jesus demonstrate it and teach it, but He was leading men and women into that kingdom, into that counterculture. If you'll think about it, Jesus Himself lived out the cultural mandate. He was fruitful. He multiplied. He is even now filling the earth with this kingdom message. He is subduing. We see that when he subdued the devil. When he, when he changes people, he's subduing and, and, and ruling. So it's not completely seen on the earth yet, but it's already established. Okay. It's still invisible, however, this kingdom. Still invisible. Incredibly and wonderfully, God has given 
the kingdom to you and me. It's ours. If you're a Christian, it's ours. Luke, Jesus says this, Luke um, 12, 32. Do not be afraid. I like that. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly. You, you, You just... Our Heavenly Father is just the best. He he wants the best for you. The best. He says He has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. And in Colossians 1.13, it explains that He has already, if you're a Christian, if you've turned from your sins and to Christ, put your life in His hands, you're following Him. In in Colossians 1.13, it says, For He rescued us, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, we've briefly described what God's plan, what what God's plan is. We very briefly described why. (laughs) Now we're going to talk about how. The majority of what I've got to say is how his plan is released and fulfilled on the earth. And so for that, we come to Matthew 16 when Jesus asked that fateful question uh, of his disciples. Who are you saying that I am? It's in the Greek, it's in the present tense. Who are you saying that I am? Peter, speaking for them, says, you're the Christ. You, you're, you're the Son of God. Blessed are you, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father's comes by revelation. See, and then he says this. He says, "I will build my church." I will. We're talking about the how, the what of God's plan, the why of God's plan. Now we're going to talk about, talk about how the plan gets released on the earth and Jesus begins to talk about the church. I will build my church. You say, well, the church has got problems. It does have problems. And the reason is, it's got people. But, <laughs> but the good news is, he is building his church. It, the, the, the whole thing got messed up through humans and humans are going to participate in putting it back together. I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell or Hades shall not overcome, shall not prevail, King James says. And I will give my, I will give to the church the keys of the kingdom. So God has given Christians, the church, the privilege of opening the doors of heaven to every tongue and tribe on the planet Earth. The whole evangelism thing, the whole worldwide mission effort to love people. That has been placed into the hands of the church. Um, I'll find out where I am here. Okay. I asked this question so to, to try to keep us all together here. What is the kingdom of God? Jerry, when you talk about the kingdom, when Jesus talks about the kingdom, what's he talking about? The kingdom of God is a spiritual realm. It's a realm where God's authority is recognized and submitted to like it was supposed to be from the beginning. It's real. It's powerful. It's also invisible yet, which is why we have to live by faith. But is is it real? Oh, it is so real. And, And the people who live today in the kingdom of God, upon us the curse is broken. The blessing has come, don't you see? And we have authority over the devil. Now, if you're a real true American, of course, you don't believe there is a devil. But there is. And we have authority over him in and through Christ. Okay. Now, now this is the part that I'm assigned to preach. <laughs> I'm not coming to the book of Acts. When Jesus got to the book of Acts at that point, he, re- he unleashed the next level of his invasion of the planet Earth. Whew, that was wonderful. 
It's the how in action. The kingdom of God, the plan, is activated by Jesus through his church. And so in Acts chapter 1, we read the most amazing thing, that Jesus, after he was resurrected from the dead, he hung out with them for 40 days. Now that's a seminary course I would love to have had. A crash course. What on earth did he teach during these 40 days? He, he taught on the kingdom of God. He said, well, Jesus, you've taught, them, you've taught these guys for three years. Yeah, but they didn't get it all. It was, uh, in my opinion, what he did was he, he condensed what he had done in three years and he packaged it and put it into them in, in, in 40 days. And so in Acts 1.3 it says, To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So he's just about to launch the how, the church. I do want you to see Acts 1.9. This is the time when Jesus is lifted up in the clouds and they got to watch him. And that must have been shocking. I mean, he's with us. He's resurrected. I mean, I could get into this. This is wonderful. He's right. I mean, I, I, I can touch him. I can. Thomas touched his hands and his side and... And, and, and he's eating fish and walking through walls. I mean, this is, a, this is a really cool time. And then we just watch him going up with the cloud, and you say, well, why? Why does he do that? And it, it is because of Daniel 7 that the Jews, in their mind, they knew that the Messiah, who would be called the Son of Man, that he would be on the clouds. And so in Daniel chapter 7, it says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. The Jews knew that. So they saw Jesus going up in the clouds, and they knew this is the authentication by God. Not only is his son raised from the dead, but he's going up into heaven. Several things happened then. Number one, they know that headquarters has moved to heaven. That's important for us today. Number two, it must have impacted them tremendously. If you had seen him lifted up in the clouds, you wouldn't have any trouble anticipating him coming back in the clouds. Is that right? Okay, you're still with me. Okay, good. The Messiah, uh, as you know, the word Messiah, it means what? The anointed one. Okay. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus pours his anointing out on a multitude, right? 120, 3,000, 5,000. He, he has multiplied. I mean, he has been fruitful. He's multiplying. He is multiplying the anointed ones. The word Christian, as you know, means little Messiah, little anointed one. What makes you different? The Spirit of God living in you and the anointing of God upon you. We're talking about the how. God is moving to execute his, his plan. What Jesus did, that was multiplication. He said prophetically in John 12, 24, except a seed fall into the earth and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, he says it bring forth, brings forth much fruit. He died, he poured out his spirit, and that's why you and I are today little Christ. We are Christians. We are the fruit of his life. Now, I want to show you very quickly that in the book of Acts, in the first church, what did they preach? They preached the kingdom of God. They, if you'll excuse me, they didn't preach the four spiritual laws. Of course, it was included. But in the larger setting of a kingdom has come, a counterculture has come, a radical way of living and operating has come. It's been initiated. It is, it, we sang today, it is more than... Sorry. It is more than a ticket to heaven. 
we'll see. Okay, Acts 8, 12. Just flash these up. I'm just going to read them so I won't even have to look them up myself. When they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God. Next one. Just flip them up there for me. Thank you. He entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months. That's a long sermon. And reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Next, Jason. Uh, and now behold, I, this is to, to the Ephesians. Um, and behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. And then the last one, Acts 28. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters. This is in Rome under arrest. And he was welcoming all who came to him preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. My point, the early church that changed the world was so aware of the kingdom of God, living in it, declaring it, exercising it, advancing it. Okay. Now, whenever you see these words, you're talking kingdom. The words like throne, dominion, authority, government, submit or submission. You're talking about kingdom because the kingdom of God is about the rule of God. Those who recognize the authority of God those who relate properly to his authority, those who relate properly to authority. So we must be men and women who are under authority. If I'm in rebellion against, I just think, humans, i got to be careful because I'm not going to have any authority of the devil who is the author of rebellion. If I want authority over the devil, which I have and you have, then we have to operate under authority. That's another huge topic. Jesus, as a matter of fact, when he talked about the centurion, the centurion recognized the authority in Jesus, and what Jesus said was, he said, that was faith. Why? Because the centurion was recognizing the authority of God, though it was in the invisible area. He recognized it, and that's what God wants you and me to do. Okay, nowhere is Paul more clear about the church moving in Christ's authority than in the book of Ephesians. If you remember, Paul went into Ephesus with the gospel, and that city was turned inside out with the message of the kingdom. The cult of Artemis was the most dominant force, not only in Ephesus, but in the whole part of Asia Minor. It was so dominant that the cult ruled the banking industry and the real estate industry. I mean, you didn't do anything in Ephesus without being under the influence of this demonic presence. He turned that city right side up. And then he wrote a book, a a letter to the Ephesian church, probably some maybe six years later. He's in a Roman prison. And his message to the church is, this is how you finish the job. This is how... You continue as a church, as the people of God, moving in the authority that's been given to you. We're talking about the how of God's plan. So we need to come to grips with a word in the book of Ephesians. It's a word that we don't use in our English vocabulary. It's the word heavenlies. What in the world are the heavenlies? You've been waiting a long time for somebody to tell you. I know. Um, Jesus has been raised from the dead, and he is seated in the heavenly. So wherever they are, that's where Jesus is. He is the head. He is far above all rule and authority, it says in Ephesians 1.21. You'll just give me that, Jason. Thanks. This is going to be faster if I don't read it to you. I mean, we just can move a little quicker. He's... Jesus has been raised. He's far above all of this. But these are also the forces that you and I face in Ephesians 6, 12, the church. He says, listen, the problems you're having, they really aren't with people. You just think they are. It really involves demonic power, but it's invisible. And we tend to get caught up just interacting with the visible. But the realm of faith and the realm of biblical, spiritual authority is given to us in this realm called the heavenlies. Now, amazingly enough, he also says that the church is the body of Jesus. He's the head, 
We are the body. And he put these demonic powers, rulers, powers, authorities, spiritual forces of darkness. He's talking about the bad guys that are real but you can't see. And he says they're under the feet of the church. Ephesians 1, 21, uh, 22, 23. He put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. The how is through the church. The how of God's plan is through the church. Okay, I haven't finished with heavenlies yet. He said, Jerry, you haven't really told us yet what it is. All you told us is that's where Jesus is and that's where the demons are and that's where we have authority and that's where we have struggles. Okay, so what is it? There are two realms. There's a natural realm and there's a spiritual realm. The, The spiritual realm is invisible. When you deal with Americans, they don't generally, I mean, there is a new age movement and people get a little, getting a little more spiritual today, but not necessarily Christian. But when I, when I, if, if Nan and I've lived in Thailand, I've lived in Vietnam and worked in a lot of these nations, you don't have to tell them that they're demons. They know. They live in fear. And about all you can say is, but when they hear the kingdom message, when they come into the kingdom, they want the authority. They're going to use the power. We want Americans to, to use the power. The heavenlies is the spiritual realm where both Christ is seated and yet there is demonic power. It's not the third heaven where God himself sits, but it's the realm in which the whole plan and the contention of our world is going on. Okay, you go to work, you go to your home, there's a natural realm, what you see. But there's a realm in which demons function where you have authority if, what if, Jerry? If you move in faith, if you stick together. I don't have time to preach that, but the book of, of well, all the New Testament letters make it clear that your authority is not only individual, but it's corporate. You need your brothers and sisters. This is a team sport, (laughs) not Lone Rangers. Okay. So we have authority if we move in faith, if we stick together, and if we recognize what we're up against. If you're like me, sometimes I'm about halfway into a battle and go, oh, man, I need to use my spiritual authority. I'm just dealing with these people on the visible level. But the battle is in the invisible if that's true, how important is prayer? Whew. If that's true, how important is worship? Whew. If that's true, how important is what words come out of your mouth? I'll come back to that topic. Okay, American Christians expect peace. Hello? But Jesus told us from the beginning, there's war. So I just want to live in peace. Yeah, well, the devil has no intention of living with peace with you unless you just take his side. And then, then you're under, you know, all that other stuff. Matthew 11, verse 12. And I'm sorry, this isn't very well translated. It says, and, and George Ladd wrote a book on the kingdom of God probably, shoot, 40 years ago and prove that this verse is tra- should be translated another way, and all the scholars acknowledge it, so I don't know why they're still translated this way. It says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. No. It should be translated, The kingdom of heaven exercises itself violently or forcibly. See, in the Greek, it's not passive. It's what they call middle. It's middle voice. If you're a Greek scholar, then Okay. Violent men take it by force. There's something violent about the king. You know, when you get, when you, you ladies, when you have a baby, there's something violent about that. It's not ho hum. It's violent. When you get born into the kingdom of God, it tends to be violent. See, but why? Because you're leaving one kingdom and joining, and joining um, another. Okay, there is. Okay, yeah, there is a cycle. There is a cycle. Is that up there? Yeah, good. Thanks. Um, 
When you move in power in the Spirit, there tends to be persecution. Now, the good news is that when persecution comes, it purifies us. Going through hard times and sticking with Jesus, you're changed. You become more like Christ. And then when you do that, you move in more spiritual power. There's a cycle. And so Michael Fletcher loves to say, if the devil is smart, he'll leave the church alone. (laughs) Uh, This was a pattern in the Roman Empire. The early church was moving in power, but then Rome released a persecution upon it, and the church just multiplied the more. Same thing happened in China. Hudson Taylor and that generation went to China preaching the gospel. The church took a small toehold in China. And then came the communist movement where they slaughtered Christians, put pastors in jail, and even to this day. And yet there are more Christians by far in China today than there are in the United States of America. The church in China has been persecuted and it moves in power. So, John, why are you saying that, Jerry? I'm leading us to talk about the book of Revelation. Okay. John wrote to the churches a message from Jesus, but he used the apocalyptic style, the apocalyptic, the prophetic genre, the type of literature that is in Daniel, that's in, 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 in Revelation, is called apocalyptic. It has its own rules. It's like, If you're going to write a certain kind of poetry, there are certain rules that go with it. And that's true when you come to the book of Revelation. And so with that intro, I will go straight to the heart of Revelation, chapter 12, and try to give you... It's a well-known passage. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun. Now, this woman is Israel. This woman is idealized Israel, Zion. A woman clothed with the sun. She's glorious in God's eyes. And the moon is under her feet. She has dominion. And on her head, a crown of 12 stars. She's royalty. Okay. This is in prophetic language. Apocalyptic. Meaning it's in symbols. All right. And she was with child. Israel was carrying the messianic seed, right? She was with child and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. That's, if you will, that's the history of Israel put in one verse in a picture form. Okay. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his head were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Herod, King Herod, slew all the children that were born around Bethlehem during the time of of Jesus' birth. You with me? Okay. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with the rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Do you see? He put the whole of the Gospels in one verse. Verse 5. Did, did you see that? She gave birth, and then he's ascended. He's capsule form, picture form. Okay. Now, notice that this is all in the past. It's already happened when he wrote it. And I'll get to it in just a minute to explain why he wrote it why Jesus spoke it, why John wrote it. But what I want you to notice is, it's already in the past. Then verse 7 leaps behind that to explain something that's that's already been covered. And I'm trying to explain to you that this is an apocalyptic style. This is um, a type of genre, it's a type of literature we don't use today. Therefore, we don't necessarily know how to relate to it. Okay, verse 7. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. This this took place before what he had just written. He's explaining how it is that the devil got on the earth. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of all who is called the devil 
and Satan, there's no doubt about this symbology, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even when faced with death. Okay. Um, verse, I'll read verse 17 as well, Jason, if it's on there. Um, so the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. I want you to notice that Revelation is not chronological. It's not in order. It's not predicting the future, really. That's not the purpose of the book of Revelation to predict the future. It does predict some future things, but, but, but that, that's not the reason it was given. Um, if, if you can hold with that. Some of it that's written is already past. It is the prophetic voice of Jesus. The book of Revelation is the prophetic voice of Jesus, the risen suffering servant, to his suffering servants, the church. If you remember, the book of Revelation was written to seven churches, representative of the churches of all time. It's, and so it's, it's, it's written to people who are suffering and wondering, is this going to work? All this suffering? I'm having friends put in prison. People are being beaten and tortured and treated unfairly and lose their jobs. Is it worthwhile? Are they being fed to the lions? That's the reason Jesus spoke the revelation to John to write this book, saying, yes, God is going to judge the system that is persecuting you. This is going to work out with power and victory. Hang in. That is the overall message. If you read the book of Hebrews, it's very similar, actually. Okay. In Revelation chapter 17, you'll see where Paul is talking about uh, Paul. Paul didn't write everything. Uh, Jesus, John, says in in, in Revelation 17, uh, then one of the... Okay. I'll just start in the middle. Verse 1. Come here and I'll show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. He's talking about the world system. As opposed to the bride of Christ, we have the great harlot. All humans are on one of these two camps. That's why Jesus died between two thieves. One railing against Jesus and the other one saying, Lord, remember me when you come with your kingdom. There's the seed of the woman and there's the seed of the serpent. All right. This is the judgment. Jesus wants his church to know, guys, it's going to end well. All right. Verse 2. With whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemies. And Anyway, verse 6, it says, And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. Verse 14. These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, because He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with Him are the called and chosen and faithful. And actually, in chapter 18, I was going to read some of those verses, but I think I'll skip them. It's just more of the same. God is going... I tell people this. Justice will be done. Nobody gets away with anything. Either Jesus pays my price or I do. Is one of those two choices. There are two ways to go to heaven. One way is never sin. And the other way is to believe in Jesus. Okay? All right. Nobody ever told you, if, if you never sin, you could go. All right. Now, one thing in Revelation chapter 19, 
This is what John is doing. He's writing about the triumphant church. He, he wants the suffering, hurting Christians, probably Christians who today are serving God in Afghanistan. A couple, two years ago, three years ago, two of our team leaders in Pakistan were martyred. They were thrown off cliffs. They found their Jeep, and they confiscated their, their laptops, which means that probably a lot more of the church in Pakistan got martyred. He, the, this, the book of Revelation is written to show us how it's going to come out in the end and why it's worth it to go all out for the kingdom of God now. That's the reason. Acts, uh, Revelation 19. After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because His judgments are true and righteous. For He's judged the great harlot who is who was corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. Okay. And then in 1911, we see this beautiful thing, Jesus coming back on a white horse. Now, excuse me, I don't want to disturb your, your theology. Maybe I do. But the white horse is a picture. Okay? He's coming in the clouds. I mean, I think that's going to be literal. He's coming in the clouds. Why? Because he, he went up that way and he talked about coming back that way. The angels did. But this, what, the point is, he's coming back with power. Power like nobody's ever seen. That's his point. So I saw the heavens open to behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and wages war. Jesus is no pacifist. He's waging war against sin. He says, His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He's clothed with a robe, dipped in blood his own, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen. Doesn't tell us who the armies are. Are they all angels? Are they martyrs? Are they all Christians? Or is it all of the above? Not sure. Good thing I like about it is it doesn't say that the army ever fights. Just Jesus. Okay. I like that. <clears throat> it says, clothed with fine linen, white and clean. We're following him on white horses. They're just following. <laughs> From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, how many of you know if you're in Afghanistan, you're in China, your husband's in jail, you just had some of your sons or daughters confiscated, you need to read and heed, you need to know how it's going to come out. That's, that's the purpose. And then Revelation 21, and I'm through with, um, well, almost through Scripture. 21. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I already read this to you. Love this part. New heaven and a new earth. It's going to be right here on the earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. There's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them. That's the what, why. How is the church and Jesus coming back? And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Praise God. All right. Then I have a question for us. How then shall we live? Given all of that, how then shall we live? See, Paul laid out our instructions in a lot of his letters, but particularly in Ephesians, 
the church in Paul's day was moving in Holy Spirit power, turning the Roman Empire upside down, and then about A.D. 85 to 90, persecution broke out. That was the day he was living in. Now, this is our day. This is our hour. This is the only time in history you and I will ever have. This is our moment on the stage. <laughs> the risen Christ gave us these words. He, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority. Therefore, the Greek says, going. It's not even a command, go. It's as you're going. Therefore, going. Make disciples. Baptize them. Teaching them. Everything I've been teaching you. That is my commission to you. So we are like Esther of old, born for such a time as this. <laughs> there is a call on your life. There is a destiny in your life. There is a purpose in your life. The plan of God sets your life and mine in context and explains there is a reason for some of the suffering that we go through. Though it be minor compared to some countries, it's very real. Very real to me. Very real to you. Is it worth it? You better believe it. It's a whole lot more fun when you go all out. It's a lot more fun when you expect to fight. Okay. Now, um, the heavenlies is where the church has authority. So, I'm just going to flip these up there. Boom, boom, boom. Ephesians 1.3. That's where the blessings are. You need something in Christ? It's in the spirit realm. That's why prayer is important. That's why worship is important. That's why what comes out of your mouth is important. Okay? Then in chapter 1, it's where the blessings are, and that's where Christ is seated. Chapter 1, I'm sorry. Chapter 1. Chapter 2, that's where you're seated. Having been saved, having been risen with Him, having been seated with Him in the heavenlies. Chapter 2. Chapter 3, He rules now through the church. To demonstrate His manifold wisdom. Wisdom is how. How does the plan of God work? Through the church, He's demonstrating that. How does your marriage work? How does child rearing work? How does relating to hurts work? Through the church, I'll demonstrate my wisdom and my authority. And then, of course, chapter 6, which is, this is the battle. He leaves us saying, there's war, man, but you got the victory. And he winds up talking about prayer, as you well know. Okay, our life purpose is to seek first the kingdom of God. Right? That's our life purpose. If you write down your destiny, what you hope to do in life, that goes at the top. Anything else comes under that. To operate in spiritual authority in all the natural places that God sends you. To operate in spiritual authority all the places God sends you. At work, in your extended family, all around you, Satan sets traps for people. He, he deceives them. He makes false promises to people. You see it where you work. The backstabbing, the jockeying, the, 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 the venting of, of hostility. <laughs> people are insecure. They have longings. They have fears. They're set up to be deceived into making the kind of choices that will damage and destroy their lives. And then God sends you to work around them. <laughs> you are the bearer of the good news. You're the walking billboard and advertisement for the present kingdom of God. They don't see the invisible realm, but you do, or at least we want to. Sometimes we forget. Or am I the only one? No, I'm not the only one, probably. Okay. But, but we have to stay intentionally staying in faith. It says, Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you've been called. There's something violent about this kingdom which we, we, we Jesus talked about. It's, it's, not, it's not easy street, really. 
you're following a Messiah who's at war with the devil. (laughs) So here's my question to you this morning. Do you expect everything around you to go smoothly? Or do you expect God to be sending you into conflict situations where His kingdom can be manifested? This is what I call a mental adjustment. A good test of this. Be ready for the test. I'm just about to end here, but this is the test. How are you thinking and speaking during these days when the economy has been spiraling down? Are you staying focused on the promises of God? Are you speaking praise to God and confidence for all these benefits? Do you see God as your financial source? That's one of the... That's one of the great things about tithing, giving him the first 10%, is that, number one, it's worship. And number two, it says, my God is my source. People around you do not know that. It's in the invisible area. It's in the kingdom area. See, another question for you. If the blessings operate in you and through you, Based on the words that come out of your mouth, where are you? In other words, can I block a lot of the blessings of God, which are mine and yours in the spirit realm, if I'm complaining and whining and muttering and talking like the negativity that's all around me? Is bad stuff happening? Of course it is. Is this a shock? You talk about what about abortion? Well, what do you expect people to do who don't know God and don't fear God? If there's any inconvenience, you just get rid of it. What do you expect people who so far are not lined up with Christ? What do you expect to happen? It's a world system that's going to come under the judgment of God. Now, I'm I'm concerned about my finances too. And you have a right to be concerned. But you need to operate in faith. And what comes out of your mouth, don't block the blessings by speaking the trash that's being spoken by everybody else on television and probably where you work. (laughs) You have to speak to your soul. Okay, the verse that turned my first tour in Vietnam around. I was just there a short time, I don't remember, a week or two. And it's Romans 12, 21. It won't be up. It just says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, what that did to me, even though I was a, a midget, I played high school football. Well, I did. I sat on the bench. I, played, I tried to play guard, right? And, um, but I knew enough about football and about sports to know if you're going to win, you've got to go on the offense. If you're going to win a war, you've got to go on the offense. Now, we need a defense. But when that first came to me in, the, in, 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 in uh, uh, Tonsonute Air Base, um, I forgot the name of the city, <laughs> Ho Chi Minh City, they call it now. Fly on, thank you. It, I said, that's it. I've got to go on the offense. And that's what I did. I'll tell you what, that verse turned my life around. I'm not waiting for the devil to see what he can do to me. I want the devil to worry about me. I want to be the initiator. I want to anticipate. I want to use prayer and worship and the words out of my mouth to exercise spiritual authority so that the the, the verses out of the book of Revelation, I not only believe them, but I'm using them. I mentioned in the wedding yesterday very briefly about about holding these truths like a compass. You don't just believe in a compass. That's nonsense. You've got to use the thing. Otherwise, you're going to crash and burn. So, pilot phrase. So, it's these truths that you hold on to that put you having a lot more fun going on the offense. And so, if I may speak to Cornerstone today as I conclude just saying, These are days for God's people to live above the natural in the invisible realm. Okay, you're in transition. You're in a building that's not your own. 
that's, that's, a, that's a minor speed bump in the parking lot. Let's move in prayer. Let's move in faith. Let's encourage one another. Let's speak faith to one another. I don't mean just being religious or slick. We know that we have hurts and pains and problems and they're ever so real. But are we going to access the grace of God, the peace of God, the joy of God? That is done by faith. Faith looks at who God is and recognizes that and comes under that. And that's where the kingdom is. May I pray with you? Come up here, my brother Willie, if you would. You get, you get a five-star rating. You went through a ton of Scripture with me. And you were awake. I could see your eyes. That's great. There is a glorious call on your lives. I'm just going to be frank with you. Not everybody is privileged to be called. And you didn't wake up and start serving God until you were called. It's a great privilege to be in the kingdom of God. Great privilege. And God wants to use your life. That's part of your destiny is to be used by the Lord. How about just standing up? Let me pray with you. You've been sitting quite a while. Both going to pray. I'm going to pray, and your pastor's going to pray. I love this guy, by the way. I think he's the greatest. <laughs> How about holding hands this morning? I tell you, this is a team sport. We we need each other. <laughs> we we yeah we're individuals, but we need each other. Yeah yeah, Father, I just want to thank you that we're not alone, that you're with us. I'm so glad, Lord, that for some mysterious reason you wanted us to be your people and you'd be our God and you would dwell with us and you'll wipe away every tear and that where you're taking us there's not going to be any sorrow. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, let the faith of the Son of God be ministered deeply to each heart here this morning. Let fresh oil from the Holy Spirit be poured on the flames of the heart altars. (laughs) Father, I pray that my brothers and sisters would see things in perspective. Their financial issues, their family issues, their health issues, their job issues. That they would see them by faith and begin to operate in the invisible realm at a new level. (laughs) And that when things get a little press on them and they lose perspective that you'll use men and women in this church to speak to one another and encourage one another, building one another up in their faith. That we'll do this together. And that this season, the season that they're in this church, they'll look back and they'll say, you know that time we were in that Seventh Day Adventist building? I'm telling you, God did things in us. Wow! I'm speaking that over your lives in Jesus' name respond to the message of uh, just sense in my heart that um, we are to rule, we are to have dominion, we are to subdue, we are operating in the spiritual realm, uh, and we have, I know, uh, situations where if you're not in the kingdom, we already have uh, been, we already established the fact that we're on the other side, the, the uh, bad side. So if there's anyone here that has not given your life to Jesus Christ, we want to give you that opportunity today. You cannot have dominion. You cannot rule. You cannot uh, go proclaim the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, if you're not his. So if anyone here that hasn't given your life to Jesus Christ, would just raise your hand and put it back down. We'd like to pray for you today. We don't want you to leave without that. Anyone here today? Anyone here? And if anyone here, did you say, you know, you know my situation, you know, my finances, you know, my, my relatives, you know, my, my marriage, you know, uh, my kids, you know, my job, you know, I, I have not been operating uh, on the offense. I've been, you know, just 
waiting for God to do something, hoping he would do something. But today I have learned that I'm to be on the offensive. I'm to be able to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I'm going to speak life into my finances. I'm going to speak life into my marriage. I'm going to speak life on this job. If that's you today, I want you to raise your hand. So I want prayer for that area to give me the strength to do that. Yes, I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand. Uh-huh. Yes, I see your hand. Good, good, good. Those of you who raised your hand, we want to pray that over you today. Okay? And those of you who didn't, I want you to join in with me to pray for those who raised your hand. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, those who raise their hand, you know the reason they raise their hand, whether it be their job, whether it be their finances, whether it be their marriage, whether it be their kids, whatever the situation may be, it might be their individual health, Father. They're going to start speaking life. They're going to start going into the spiritual realm. They're going on the offensive, Lord, and they are not going to let the enemy uh, just take the battle to them. Uh, they're not going to be on the defensive. Yes, defense is good, but offense is better. We're going to score more points than the enemy. We're going to win. So I speak life into them. I, think, I speak strength into them in the name of Jesus Christ. So that they will not get, go weary and give up. They will not go weary and just hang their head, Lord. We are on the winning side. We are on Jesus Christ's side. So I speak that over you in the name of Jesus Christ. From this point on, you going into your situation. You're going to think... Our uh, good th- thoughts. You're going to speak good thoughts. Regardless of the situation. Oh, it's going to get worse. Oh, it's going to get worse sometimes. But the enemy is just wants trying to scare you. This is just a smoke screen. But it's going to get better. It's always darkest before the dawn. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God.